Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan Mikanev. Hey, everybody. What's going on? My name is Ryan McKenna. I'm here with Janet, and I'm still going to bring up our sexy new intro with our awesome voiceover, which is a lot better than what we had before, which was me. So it's it's an improvement no matter how we go. It's Variety. We, it's were, variety. we were in basement level. But you still have to listen to Janet and I blabber up on about um, the world of senior care and senior issues. So thank you anyways for joining us. Today we are getting into something that I think we've covered in bits and pieces over the last maybe 30 some odd episodes. But we haven't really had um, an episode dedicated to it. And I guess if we have, I've forgotten about it. So we're going to do it again. Um, this is all about how home health agencies work. And Janet and I can provide a lot of insight into this because we work in a home health agency. Um, so basically, when you're getting into home health agencies, I'll ask you the question, Janet, who's regulating us? Who's regulating me in this company? Well, with a, a private agency such as us, there is not the oversight of... Um, Department of Public Health and, and the regulators that you would have for something that gets reimbursed through insurance like Medicare and Medicaid. So, I mean, we we belong to an organization, um, the um, Massachusetts Home Care Alliance, and they basically parallel those rules. And we found that that was a very good way for us to go to maintain our standards. Um, and a number of other places are doing the very same thing. But we're not... Um, we're not regulated by anybody. We, we, we don't even need a licensure to do business in Massachusetts at this point in time. Um, there is regulation that we think is going to be coming down the line in the next two to five years. Um, we think the Home Care Alliance's um, accreditation standards are going to be the general standards, plus or minus some things moving forward that the government's going to um, look at and make decisions on and go forward. But a lot of states don't have a lot of regulation when it comes to private home care. And the reason for that is, is that since we're not providing medical care to people, we are the equivalent of a plumber coming in in their eyes. We're the equivalent of the AC man, the handyman, or the house cleaner. We're providing a service to people that you pay us money, we give you that service, and that's the end of that um, that relationship for that most part. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring it up is to make sure that your home care agencies are accredited by somebody or make sure they're at least part of some type of memberships. Um, and you know, make sure that they're a real company. It's very easy to make a slick website, have a phone number that goes to a cell phone and that's all you need. So, um, I thought it was important in explaining this with with everybody to just be upfront and honest and saying that, you know, at least in the Massachusetts area, there isn't a whole lot of regulation and we happen to live in one of the most regulated states. So my guess is other states aren't being as regulated as much um, if, if Massachusetts isn't. But something that I know Jen and I want to talk about quite a bit is how we find caregivers. But <laughs> before we do that, if you happen to be in the Boston area and are interested in or are considering or even just have questions, you have no intention of buying home care services at the, the, at, in the foreseeable future, but you do have a question, some questions, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 781-862-3300, 781-862-3300, or visit our website at mwhomecare.com. So 
the second topic we're going to get into is is how we find caregivers and that is extraordinarily difficult and is the bane of our existence <laughs> um is finding good qualified caregivers because um you know to be quite honest with you they're hard to find i mean everybody had every home agency has their a's their b's and their c's and then it's the bad agencies that, that keep their d's and their f's around um you know, not everybody's, as, as you so famously said, it can be Mary Poppins. And what we mean by Mary Poppins is they're an A-plus home health aide, and they're an A-plus personality, and they're A-plus, they match with you. They have no accent whatsoever, and they never show up late or have family emergencies or whatever excuses. And come rain, sleet, snow, tornadoes, hail, doesn't matter, they're going to get there. Right, Janet? Absolutely. So... The way that we find caregivers and every home health agency finds caregivers is that you have to imagine there is a humongous pool of people standing in the middle of a, a field. And those represent home health aides. Those home health aides can be anywhere from just companions, meaning that they have no certificates whatsoever of being a registered home health aide or a certified home health aide, all the way to being up a HHA or a CNA. And... Home care agencies, if you imagine in a good circle around that large pool of caregivers, then start interviewing and hiring different caregivers based off of the, each individual agency's criteria. And depending on how strict they are, it can depend on how many caregivers you hire. Right, Jenna? Absolutely. Yeah, with, with the caregivers, you can have... Um, to your point of there are some people that are companions and they're wonderful companions. They take people to appointments and things like that and they have the perfect personality for that. Some people are um, have been home health aides for a very long time. Some people have been CNAs that have worked in assisted living or nursing homes or hospitals. And some caregivers actually um, who may have come from Haiti, Uganda, Jamaica, Trinidad, they were nurses and or doctors in their um, home country, and they have excellent um, skills in terms of safety and observation and things like that. So there's there's a whole range of, of talent and qualifications out there. And so the reason why we bring this up is, is that usually, especially your A and your B caregivers, right, your the, the superstars are usually registered with multiple agencies. So my goal as a business owner and Janet's goal as an office manager here is to make sure our core group of caregivers, the people that we think are our Mary Poppins, are always employed no matter what we have to do. That's our goal on a daily day-to-day day -day basis. The problem that comes up with that is that if we don't have work for them, they can call a competitor and then try to find work from those competitors because we do have a lot of competitors in this area. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people like to say, well, let's just interview a couple backup caregivers just in case something happens with the current caregiver we're using primarily. It doesn't work that way. The caregivers don't sit up on a shelf waiting for that call. They're actively job hunting with other agencies. So when and if your caregiver that's doing 40 hours a week for you 
and is you're the only caregiver in the home falls and has an injury or has an emergency or and when we talk about emergencies we're talking emergencies flying back to Africa for three weeks emergencies that they're going to be out of the house for a while and I know that sounds a little ridiculous and Janet laughs but every single Christmas we have caregivers that fly back to Africa for a month to see their family caregiver migration yeah every year and it puts families into a tizzy because their their dependable caregiver is going to be gone for three to six weeks and so it's it's just understanding how the we find our caregivers is that we're we're finding them from the pool we're interviewing them we're getting rid of people that we don't think are good and we're hiring on people that we think are good and then we're actively marketing and trying to find jobs um, where they can be placed on a on a case but if they're not placed on a case very quickly another agency can call them up and then they're gone and they're not available to us any anymore so that just kind of means that these caregivers are flexible to do the jobs but also their that flexibility allows them to go outside of the minute women uh, umbrella and find a work with another company absolutely and and it's the people that are really your mary poppins that are in high demand and uh, you know even if um, it's even more of a problem if maybe what you need for your family member is two days a week um, or short hours that's even harder because you're competing those hours are competing with um, someone that may need services for a full day and and that's a steady more hours for them so it gets a little complicated yeah. putting it together so i mean maybe i should have started with this but these caregivers are all per diem employees they are employed oh you got to check that with different different companies but with us they are employed but they are employed per diem, meaning as needed. So if they're needed this week and then the job ends or somebody passes away, they're no longer needed anymore, then they're going to be out actively looking for another job if we don't have one for them. So it's just something good to know when you think you might be be looking at senior services and that you're going, oh, well, we can start them up for two or three weeks, use them, and then we're going to go to Nantucket for a week or two or a month or the whole summer, but we want that caregiver when we get back. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. They're probably going to be on another case, whether it's with us or whether it's with somebody else. So, Janet, I'll let you start off with topic three a little bit because I know there are some things that you're more familiar with than others. But before we get into topic three, which is about payments, we are going to talk and ask you if you don't mind to go over to Facebook and look at the Caregiver's Toolbox, like that page, and give us feedback on what you want to hear about, questions that you have. Janet and I come up with these podcast ideas on a week-to-week basis on what we think we'd want to hear, what we think our listeners would want to hear. But if there's something that we're missing that we haven't even thought about and you're thinking about it and you're like, man, I really wish they would do a podcast on XYZ. There's probably a bunch of other people that are thinking about that and wondering those same questions. So we're checking that every single day, seeing if people are going to give us that feedback. So like us over on Facebook, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, give us some reviews, really good reviews if you don't mind. Don't give us the zero stars. Give us the five stars, please. (laughs) We only want five. Four stars we'll take, but we're really looking for the five stars. But in all honesty, your support helps us keep this going and we really appreciate it so getting into topic three is the payment so the number one people the number one way people are going to pay private home care agencies janet is through they're gonna pay cash they are gonna hand over a credit card 
or or some payment that way. This is not something that that goes through your Medicare, your Medicaid insurance. And that's something that people, you know, they get into what they need and then they start talking costs. And it's it's um, it's significant costs to have good quality caregivers. Absolutely. And that is going to be the overwhelming 90 to 95 percent of people are going to. You can look with your private insurance. That's fine by all means. And if, if there is somebody that's out there that's listening, that's like, oh, I got my private insurance to pay for my my private home care services, please email me immediately and let me know how you did that because I'd love to inform other people on how they do that, but how they could do that. But at this point in time, we haven't um, seen that happen as of yet. The other two kind of ways that people do this is something called long-term care insurance. I think we've spoken about long-term care. I know we have, but basically long-term care insurance is like, uh, is a, an insurance policy that you buy beforehand before you get uh, into the elderly years, let's say. Let's say you buy it when you're in your 50s and 60s. You pay a certain amount of money per month, usually in the mid to high hundreds of dollars per month, 500 to 1000 bucks a month, if not more. And that when you get to 75, 85, 95, whenever that is, and you need private home care services, you then pay somebody like Janet and I for those services, and then you get reimbursed from the long-term care insurance company. Mm-hmm. And the policies can be all over the map. Um, they have uh, different policies are written in different states, and you need to read the fine print so that you know what is covered and what isn't. Some um, have a little more flexibility in them regarding dementia. Some do not. Um, some have different requirements. I will say in my experience, and I've talked to um, a number of companies that are located in different states, and generally speaking, the rule of thumb is for them to reimburse, there need to be, they need a doctor's note, but they have to show that they need what they call at least three ADLs, which is activities of daily living. So they need help with getting washed, help with dressing, help with with some part of their, their daily personal care. And three seems to be the pretty much the standard around. And a number of them, too. In fact, I was just talking with one this morning that uh, actually made me laugh. She was really good-natured about it. Um, they wanted to see the agency's license. And as we talked about, um, you know, private agencies don't necessarily have a license like other places would. And she said, I don't need a major license. I need proof that you are not one person behind a desk taking someone's money. So we just laugh because that tells you that there are people out there that aren't the most reputable agencies in the world. So you need to do your homework. Absolutely. But they have pretty good guidelines and and they'll give us what we need to fill out for paperwork to help you in turn pay your bill. Absolutely. And, and, And that's kind of what they're trying to avoid is that, you know, anytime when there's a lot of money involved, there there are people that are going to try to take advantage of that. Yep. The final way that um, people do pay for home health uh, services, and I'm, there's probably more than three, I'm sure there is, but the, the other way that we've seen is through something called the Veterans Aid and Attendance Program. We're already at the 15-minute mark in this podcast, and we try to keep them between 10 and 20 minutes, and I don't have nearly enough time to go through the Veterans Aid and Attendance Program. I know the basics of it, but I do not know the, the the super details. But in a nutshell, if you are a veteran or the spouse of a veteran or the widow of a veteran, you could be entitled 
up to a few thousand dollars a month in uh, services, whether that's you're using private home care services or whether you're using assisted living facilities, if you're paying for a skilled nursing facility, if you're paying out of pocket for senior care and you fit their criteria, then you can get reimbursed with veterans aid in attendance. The not to be the negative Nancy, but the catch one of the catches that usually fouls people up. There are three catches. One, you got to be a veteran during wartime. That's not really that hard. And then the second one, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but but it wasn't that hard either. The third one was that you had to be um, making less than a certain amount of money. You had to be at a net negative, meaning that if you your income through Social Security was $1,000 a month and you were getting $1,500 a month in private home care services, you are now at a net negative income for uh, for for being eligible for this program. And generally, in the area that we're in, Concord, Lexington, high-end homes uh, go for millions of dollars and entry-level homes go for a million dollars. That usually doesn't happen. And the other catch-22 about it is with the Veterans Aid and Attendance Program is that it can take anywhere from six to nine months, sometimes even 12 months for the government to get their act together and start reimbursing you. So it's there. It's a retroactive payment. So if you sign up for, for Minute Women's Services, you might today, you might not start getting reimbursed until the springtime. And people that are at a net negative income with private home care services can't wait six months to get reimbursed by the federal government because they're losing money and they generally don't have money. So it is a catch-22. Um, there are ways you can put your money into trusts. I'm not an expert on that. Talk to an elder law attorney if you're interested in doing that. It's a little bit circumventing the system. It is a little gray area where it's not le- illegal, but it's kind of immoral because it's not meant for you. But you can put your money into a trust and then it looks like you're at a net negative when you actually have plenty of money in a trust to do that. I know people have done that in the past. I don't necessarily uh, recommend it, but mm-hmm. I, as in terms of educating people, it is out there. So those are the three ways. You're talking out-of-pocket. You're talking long-term care insurance, which are usually the two biggest ways with out-of-pocket being overwhelming, and then the Veterans Aid and Attendance Program. And you know, not to butt in, Ryan, but it just occurred to me, we've been getting um, a couple situations uh, this past year of grant situations where there can be things that are through a community or through a hospital where people look qualify can get some grant money for several thousand dollars or whatever. So just like trying to get your kid into college, you know, you may ask, is there any way that I might qualify or my father would qualify for some type of a grant program? Absolutely. I mean, that wasn't something I thought about because we've just recently gotten those calls where it hasn't been um, consistent. But look around. I mean, if you if you work for a large corporation in the Boston area or anywhere, Nowadays, the HR person, usually in these multi-billion dollar companies, has resources of knowing who to call, what to do for um, for senior care services, because it is worth the while of the company to be able to help you navigate that so you're not spending weeks away or having to take a... Uh, a, a leave of absence to figure this stuff out that they can help you with that. So speak with your HR um, representative isn't a bad way to go 
if you work for one of those big Your companies. Your Council on Aging may have some resources too. Absolutely. So anyways, you've gotten an overview of how home health agencies work. Obviously, it's an overview. If I missed something that you were expecting and I forgot it, I didn't think it was not necessarily that it wasn't important, but I only have so much time in the day. So Thank you very much for listening to the Caregiver's Toolbox, Tools for Everyday Caregiving. We give you tips and education and information on senior caregiving topics. We will be back with you next week. And again, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, hit us up on Facebook. Have a good day.